Hey creepy crawlers, I'm Katie and this is Case of the Creeps. Hello, hello, hello. I am Katie and this is Case of the Creeps podcast. I am super excited to be doing this finally after saying for like weeks now that I was going to record and I'm just really glad that I'm finally here. <laughs> um, oh my god, my chair is so squeaky. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> okay, so uh, thank you guys for giving this podcast a chance. This is going to be a learning process as I go. I'm doing this kind of by myself, so everything that you hear from start to finish is me. Um, I'm super excited to be here again and be doing this and having you guys listen. It's just super cool. So things that you can expect on this podcast is literally anything and all things creepy, paranormal, murder, true crime, serial killer, unsolved mysteries. If it's creepy, I am about it. I want to talk about it. (laughs) So um, I also want to make this podcast a very involved podcast. So I have a Instagram that I've made. You guys can please, please, please follow me there. It is Case of the Creeps Podcast. I also have a email, which is Case of the Creeps Podcast at gmail.com. If you guys have your own creepy encounters, I want to hear about them. If you have requests of things you want to hear about, have me talk about, I want to hear it literally anything i i'm all for it the sky is literally the limits that's why i have such a broad title the next thing i want to bring up is actually that my cover art is completely temporary and is open for change my title is going to stay the same but if anyone out there who is super super creative that can help me think of an idea for a good cover art for the podcast Um, we can make it like a contest and it will be featured and, um, I would really, really appreciate it because I just found a very broad picture and it went with the theme and I said, yep, that's what we're doing. (laughs) So, uh, the goal for me as well for this and for you guys, because again, I want this to be a consistently involved thing is I do plan on presenting to you weekly creeps which means that i plan on releasing an episode uh once a week every week so unless i say otherwise which i highly doubt that i will so uh with that being said i would like to get into our first case how exciting also um this is an explicit podcast so there will be cursing and obviously not nice things so little ears are not recommended saying that in advance. Um, With that being said, I have been drinking, so this is going to be fun (laughs) because I have been nervous to do this. (laughs) So cheers. Let's do this. Our first case is actually very well known as the suitcase murder, which I thought was cool because the name of the podcast is Case of the Creeps. Uh, Suitcase 
case of the creeps. It goes. It, it works. So um, we're just going to dive right into it. So here we go. So Chris Hankel and his buddy Don decided to go fishing in the Chesapeake Bay area in Virginia with Don's kids on May 5th which is actually mine and my husband's wedding anniversary. <laughs> the day, but not the date, which was 2004. Don even was willing to keep his kids out of school that day, and they, everyone was just super excited to be going out and hopefully catch some fish. So they go out, and they are anchored over at Fisherman's Island, which I thought was real original Chesapeake Bay neighbor guys, <laughs> uh, which is also right next to the Chesapeake Bay Tunnel. If you guys are not familiar with this tunnel, it is that big-ass tunnel that goes under the Dagum Bay. That is big old population nope for me. Absolutely not. Willing to do a lot of things, but driving underwater? No, 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 no. So they're out doing their thing, slinging lines or whatever to hype fishing up uh, when they see something floating over in the distance. Hmm. And, like most white people, they thought, hmm, mysterious floating object, boatload of kids. Yeah, let's go check it out. So they pull up to this floating object and as they get closer, they realize it's a suitcase. So Chris, he thinks nothing of it other than, you know, they're next to the tunnel. So maybe it's just a suitcase that flew off of somebody's roof rack as they were driving, uh, you know, poor tie downs or whatever it may have been. But the kid, on the other hand, the youngest kid on the boat was elated, was like, oh, my God, we have found buried treasure. We are live pirates right now. This is amazing. My life is complete kind of, kind of deal. So they pull up on it and, um, they, they go and they're trying to pull this suitcase up and I just, ah, I can't help but think cause I'm a, I'm a mom. So like, bless your heart, kid. <laughs> so they are pulling up this suitcase and as they're pulling it up, they're like, holy shit balls. This thing is heavy. And Chris and Don, they, you know, they start to get a little hesitant before um, kind of putting two and two together, really. But before they can say or do anything, this little tater tot ripped that bad boy wide open and voila. Inside laid a pair of two human legs chopped right below the knee, wrapped up in black trash bags, just all cozily nestled inside. Pretty sure we can all say collectively at this point, this is not very treasure. <laughs> so obviously they call the authorities, but contrary to popular saying, they actually had two good legs to stand on, but they didn't have the rest of the body. So the waiting game begins. Cue that good old Jeopardy music. Luckily, it wasn't long before the next case washed up on an island also in the Chesapeake Bay area, and it happened that it was a college student was actually picking up trash for preservation of the island. Do your part, girl. And it was May 11th, so six days after the first suitcase had been found. Now, this bed boy was pretty stanky, which is probably why Miss Trash Picker decided it probably wasn't a great idea to open it, and she called the authorities. So they come, they pick it up, they take it back to the medical examiner, 
And inside the case, this case, was the torso of a man also wrapped up in black bags with the head still attached when the head was actually wrapped up in a medical bag or blanket kind of thing. Um, but, but the best part about this one is that he also, or this, this body had two bullet hole wounds in the chest made by a 38 caliber gun with wad cutter bullets. Now, if you're not familiar with that type of bullet, they're used for target practice, y'all. These are not like, quote unquote, takeout bullets. So with that, ladies and gents, we officially have a murder case opened. So obviously it wasn't very long before a third case was discovered by another fisherman on May 16th in 2004. That contained the pelvic area and the arms of the body. So now we have the entire body. And I just want to say as well, it is not a good time to be a fisherman in that area, I feel. You have really just kind of been catching more than you're bargained for. <laughs> so the Virginia police, they start looking into missing persons. Now the two ID our floater. Because they were so close to a military base, they thought that would be one of the first places to go looking, but unfortunately, they had no such luck. So, they had to go back and work on a new plan, which then produced the sketch that was published out to the public through news and media sources for the public to try help identify this guy. But, they didn't have any sort of luck until May 21st when Miss Susan Rice was getting out of the shower that morning and happened to catch the news coverage of the sketch and details of the findings for her to put two and two together. This was actually a sketch of her and her husband, John, their very close friend, Bill McGuire. <clears throat> so Susan and John loaded up and went down to the station where they looked at multiple photos and and these photos were of the actual body that they had discovered, which I also want to throw in there, guys. The suitcases were all a matching set, a dark green, fancy dancer matching set of suitcases. So it was somebody who obviously owned all three pieces. Just, if you didn't already put that together, ciao, there you go. <laughs> so they looked at these multiple photos and as soon as they started actually really looking at them, Susan was immediately able to identify the body due to literally a birthmark on the right side of his eye that had been there for as long as they've known them, which is actually 22 years. So the police then proceeded to run prints against the name and found a record of reckless driving tagged to a William McGuire, and it was a perfect match. We have our name. So now it's on to figuring out what the fudge happened to old Billy. Just a little brief history on our main man Bill here. He was actually born in September 21st of 1964. He was a good kid, always seemed to be the fun guy, but like that Saturday Night Live kind of funny, like he was, he was quick-tongued in a way. Um, he was always somebody who was smiling and trying to make others to smile and joke. I literally tried and tried and tried to find any sort of weirdness in his family. And 
I could find legit nothing. So he worked at a restaurant as a young adult, and that is where he inevitably met our star of the show, Miss Melanie. Now, Melanie, she was your typical Jersey girl. She was headstrong. She was driven. Also born October 8th, 1972, and was also from a normal childhood as well. She was a very full-of-life person, um, super freaking smart. She was a great student, never really in trouble. And when Bill and Melanie met, it was like, ah, oh, just instant. It was that perfect connection, you know, when everything just clicked. So they were immediately infatuated with each other, constantly poking at each other and picking at each other because they had the same type of humor. And when asked by others about their relationship early on, it was described as though they just, they, they legit, they fit together like two pretty little puzzle pieces. Bill actually ended up going into the Navy for a period of time, and Melanie went on to pursue a career in nursing and actually ends up getting second in her class in mathematics and psychology. That baby had some brains. And then when Bill got back from the Navy, they got married in 1999, and that is when Bill became a computer techie guy at the New Jersey Technical Institute, while Melanie started uh, working as a fertility nurse. Now buckle up y'all because if shit wasn't weird for you before, it's about to get little weirder. So everything's been really good for the McGuire's or at least from the outside. They have a child now at this point and life's pretty great. However, there were a lot of arguments, multiple interviews of Melanie's parents, Susan and John Rice, Melanie herself, all saying the same thing. They fought a lot. They separated a lot. They cheated a lot. They got back together a lot. And then they separated again a lot. So, and Melanie, during an interview at one time, has even said that it was like they liked the thrill of it. Like both of them, which is just pretty effing weird but it was also said that bill had more of a manipulative and hostile side too melanie's stepdad said once during an interview and i watched it and like melanie's stepdad's really creepy <laughs> but it was like bill had two sides of him at some points like a dual personality now i also kind of just want to throw in here guys because like everything kind of sounds a little one-sided and bill doesn't have many people that are like you'll hear throughout this that have an interview solely like for him or you no know, hearsay for him. But let me tell you, I searched and searched and searched for any sort of interview or, you know, statement or anything from Bill's side as a mom, dad, two sisters. And it was impossible. I couldn't find anything. It's like they were quiet about the entire event, which just kind of screamed a little weird to me. But just, just so that you know, like, you're not going to hear anything from Bill's immediate family because they had fucking nothing to say, apparently. But anyways, so Melanie's stepdad said that during once, during an interview, that Bill had two sides of him. At some points, it was like a dual personality. He also apparently had a huge knack for gambling, too. He would disappear to Atlantic City and just gamble that night away. 
You paint that town red, Bill. However, according to Miss Melanie, if things didn't go his way out there, he would come home and take it out on her. For example, and this is pretty interesting. One night, Bill got pulled over for reckless driving. Ring a bell? And he was on the phone with Melanie, who was pretty effing pissed at him about getting pulled over. And he yelled at her, and I quote, I'm gumming, I, I'm gumming, <laughs> I'm going to come home and kill you. I'm going to smash your face in. Which, funny enough, Melanie actually packed her shit and left that night, but ended up coming back with the explanation that she just wasn't ready to leave and thought she could change him. Ladies, you cannot change a man. Stop it. Just, just stop it. Don't do it. Don't try. Don't do it. Anywho, so we've got all this crazy crap happening behind closed doors with the McGuire's, but wait, there is more. Cue the pregnancy. Because a new baby can fix legit everything. But as Melanie grew bigger and bigger, so did the issues in her marriage. Enter Brad and red flag number one. <laughs> Side note. Side note. I'm sorry to anyone who's listening uh, who may be named Brad, but Brad's are the epitome of no good. <laughs> Damn it, Brad. <laughs> Brad Miller was a co-worker and doctor at the office Melanie worked at, so the contact was constant. They were constantly shooting each other these endearing looks, and Melanie would always find, you know, these cute little gifts, or, you know, lunch was waiting for her at her desk sometimes after coming home, or not com not coming home, but coming back to her office after visiting with a patient. Um, she also, and uh, I have to mention, he would come and give her shoulder rubs and she would say that she just could not resist this man. Whoa, whoa now. Easy, Melanie. I need to also mention that old Bradley over here was also married and had kids too. That, yeah, that's cool. That's great. Gold star to Brad. But... It wasn't until Melanie had that baby because they actually weren't shooting each other the looks until she was about, mm, I think it said 30. I have to look back at my notes. I don't have that actually in front of me. Bad. But I believe she was like maybe 32 weeks and that's when things really started to kind of escalate between them. But it wasn't until she was back from maternity leave before the affair was like full-blown active. So now sleazy Melanie is running two lives. Gold star to Mel. But we gotta... We, we gotta go back to Bill. <laughs> now at this point, the McGuire's are living in a small apartment in Woodbridge Township, New Jersey with two kids. And Bill has always had this aspiration, want and drive to buy a house. So they start looking, but of course, here comes Melanie and she's just making things really effing hard. Miss two-timer over here 
was having to continuously turn down options of homes because they were all going to lead to Virginia Beach, which is where Bill wanted to actually live. So he was closer to his friends, Susan and John. And he's always just had that, that strive, you know, that's where he wanted to live. So, but that meant that Melanie would be taken away from big bad boy Brad, (laughs) who also is at this point so freaking head over heels for this woman that he is just beside himself begging her not to go through with buying this house with Bill, to which Melanie would always reply, don't worry, I got this. Red flag number two, Melanie. What in the effing hell does that mean? (laughs) So now we have a five-year marriage that's holding on by a thread, a full-blown affair, the speculation as of right now of physical violence and definite mental abuse, a house buying process that is just hell in a handbasket, and two kids in the balance of it all. So if you're still on the outside looking in, you're legit watching a car accident happening in slow motion, essentially, at this point. Now, this is where things kind of start to happen a little fast, guys. So let's go ahead and do a secondary buckle up. (laughs) We're going to fast forward now to April 28th of 2004. Our happy couple found a house, y'all. Yay! Woo! Yeah, this is also the last night that Bill is seen alive. Dun, dun, dun. Now, I am not exaggerating. Oh my God, I am not exaggerating even in the slightest when I say that Bill and Melanie just closed and signed the papers to their very own real life Barbie dream house. This house was a whopping $1.2 million home wait for it, in New Jersey. Now, with our hindsight being 2020, old Miss Melanie done got her fucking way. Now, Bill and Melanie, they sign these papers and they're back in their apartment and Bill is just flipping giddy with excitement. Like, kid freaking loose in a candy store, excited. He's calling all his friends his family, he's sharing the good news, he's having a few celebratory drinks, and he even starts to haphazardly pack a few miscellaneous things until he falls asleep on the couch downstairs. Meanwhile, Mischief Melanie is upstairs talking to bad boy Brad, who is just beside himself after finding out they closed on a house pleading profusely to Melanie not to go through with it. He wants this life with her. And Melanie once again replies, don't worry, I got this. Bill is downstairs sleeping. Once he wakes up, I'm going to tell him I want a divorce. (laughs) Red flag number three, Melanie, solely because why in the fudge sickle Would you close on what could only be described as a modern damn mansion if you're gonna ask for a divorce later on that same night? I thought you were smart, Melanie. (laughs) 
So, so Bill wakes up on the couch in the wee hours of the morning. And before Melanie even has a chance to say or do anything, Bill starts to dig into her. Cue the dual side of Bill. He starts to say these things like, I settled on this house. You made us have to get this house. I never wanted this house. It's your fault. To which Melanie was like, yeah, okay, no, I don't want to deal with this. And attempts to actually leave this argument without even mentioning the shit she wanted to mention, which was like, there was your chance, girl. <laughs> but... Uh, unfortunately for Melanie, Bill had other plans and actually followed her up the stairs. Now, you know, just to be fair, guys, we're only hearing one part of this story, and that's Melanie's. And up to this point, she's already proven herself to be a real winner, y'all. But anyways, you know, Bill follows her up the stairs where he notices a dryer sheet hanging out of one of the toddler's sleeves in a laundry basket nearby. Now, apparently, Bill hated these dryer sheets. He thought they were a major safety hazard to the toddler who could choke on one at any given point. Well, when he saw the dryer sheet, he got real big mad. He grabbed the sheet out of the laundry and then grabbed Melanie. And according to Melanie, he pinned her up against the wall and shoved that bounce dryer sheet right down her throat, hoping it wouldn't bounce back. Oh, did you get my dad joke? It was in there. Oh, okay. Bill then slapped the dog shit out of Melanie. I mean, she deserved it, just saying. And as the force of the slap moved her head, she locked her eyes with her little baby tot. Which, uh, you know, just uh, that feeling of your child seeing things they shouldn't. So I am totally chalking it up to, you know, maybe mama bear strength kind of kicking in or something. Because whatever she does, she somehow is able to get big old Bill off of her, scoop up her child and sprint into a bathroom where she's also able to lock the door before Bill got to her again. I mean, damn, when you think about it, she's a two-time smarty with the speed of a racehorse. <laughs> Noted. Now, Melanie is locked in the bathroom and Bill is avidly banging on this door. Like he's just literally like some sort of lumberjack trying to come in. And this is when Melanie screams stop at the top of her lungs, to which Bill replied, I'm leaving and never coming back. You can tell the kids why they don't have a father. Hmm classy he leaves the door melanie hears what sounds like rustling of clothes and the final slam of the front door and this was the last time bill was ever seen alive here's the here's a little weird tidbit here the next day melanie filed for a protection order against him now that we have this backstory and bill's bloated body from being a floater for seven days but we still don't know who did the deed here. So we're going to go back up to the discovery of Bill being ID'd. So, of course, as authorities always do, they go to notify the family's loved ones, um, immediate family, all those. And I just want to say, y'all, I watched this interview and it was 
freaking wild. You know, I know I'm new to this stuff as far as like research and everything, not just being like a fan, but this interview was just, it was kind of crazy because, you, you know, I slowed it down and watched this sucker like multiple times. And, you know, actually, if you're interested in watching it for yourself, you can go over to ABC's show 2020 and watch the episode called Secret in the Suitcase. It is a whole hour-long episode dedicated to this case. It is wonderful. Also, you're going to hear my dogs playing in the background because they're going buck wild right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, this interview, this interview, Melanie is talking about when they came and told her that Bill was dead. And you just see her, she kind of looks at the camera and she just says, you know, and that's when they told me, you know, Bill is dead. And she says, and I just burst into tears. But she says it with such a cold, expressionless face. It's literally, it's enough to make you have a case of the creeps. Like, they're legit. Like, it just makes your skin crawl. It was crazy. So, you know, you guys definitely should go check that out. But, you know, calm down. Calm down. Goodness. So they start looking at the evidence that they have so far, which is a dismembered body drained of all blood with precise surgical-like slices to separate, also has two gunshot wounds and a hospital bag. Hmm. Hmm, I say, hmm. This now leads police to believe that this wasn't just done by some thugs on the street or even a gang attack. No, this is starting to look like somebody who has experience, per se, in the medical field. But who? Hmm. Well, after some digging, they discovered, wait for it, wait for it, oh, Melanie. A week after the remains are found and ID'd, Melanie is being questioned in regards to Bill in his untimely death. But, Melanie, man, we already know she's hella smart, and she did her duties, too. Police kept asking her questions, and she just kept really knocking them down. She did look a little timid, people would say, in the investigation room and during interviews, but, I mean, a lot of people can also chalk that up, too. Oh, she just, you know, she just lost her husband. Of course she's going to be shooken up. They're accusing her of killing him. But that's neither here, that's, that's not, that's neither here nor net. No, no. So, <clears throat> But here's, here's the kicker. So they're asking her these questions. And then out of nowhere, without any prompt, hearsay, nothing, Melanie looks at them and goes, well, where did you find his car? And these damn cops, they looked at each other like deer caught in the headlights. And at this point, they're saying, the hell you mean where'd you find his car? <laughs> so, and Melanie, she just, she replied with, I bet you it's over in Atlantic City. Well, wouldn't you know? Virginia detective Ray Pickle drove over to Atlantic City and found Bill's 2002 blue Nissan Maxima parked over at the Flamingo Hotel in Atlantic City. The vehicle was obviously towed and then searched for evidence, and whoo boy, they found it too. Inside the glove compartment, they found a syringe with the remnants of what looked like a clear liquid with a pinkish type hue. And they also found these tiny pieces of human skin that they also refer to, and this is just freaking creepy. They refer to it as human sawdust. 
Now, if that doesn't make your skin just absolutely crawl, <sighs> you cry cry. <laughs> I also need to mention too that they couldn't help but notice during the investigation of the car, the car was really freaking clean, like professionally cleaned, which is like, huh, interesting. He's disappearing or he's disappeared and his car is immaculate. Well, to even add more to the suspicions, they had the clear liquid that was in the syringe obviously taken off and tested, and it came back as what's called as a drug known as chloral hydrate. Now, this drug is commonly used to help people fall asleep prior to surgery or to help those who suffer from insomnia. Long story short, y'all, it is a sleepy, sleepy, no-not drug. One you can only get if you have a prescription for it. Hmm. It's starting to feel real doctory in here. <laughs> so they also went ahead and um, during this time searched the McGuire's apartment that they were living in. Only when they showed up to do so, the apartment was completely scrubbed. And I mean like Cinderella style clean painted gutted the works and pickle even had to ask like where the hell is all of bill's stuff like what'd you do with all of it and melanie openly admitted too that she had gotten rid of all of his shit and gave his clothes away to some cousin of bill's too oh that is real fishy melanie like you're just tacking him up girl so, uh, but here's the thing, little did she know, she just screwed herself big time because good old Mr. Pickle found that cousin and those clothes still in the bags she gave them in. Now, I want you guys also to be aware that while the police were investigating these things, Melanie was on her own agenda. Bill's body was released and without even blinking an eye, she immediately cremated him. She also held the smallest funeral you could possibly think of that only lasted in all of maybe like 10 minutes max. Two of the guests were actually John and Susan Rice. Now, these poor folks are just freaking distraught after losing their longtime friend. John and Bill were in the Navy together. They had like a 20-something year relationship with Bill. So they were just... And they could, you know, it was just very weird to them and they, they felt robbed in essence. So they were just truly sick to their, to their stomach over the whole thing. So, and then just to have the experience of, you know, that, ooh, that short funeral and, you know, that just, it just, you know, that your friend wasn't done right. Uh, I could just only imagine like how that would make them kind of feel. Well, with that being said kind of good segue there that same night after the funeral melanie called sue actually to just kind of talk about things and sue jumped on melanie for her bullshit you go miss sue she told melanie that bill deserved so much more than this she should have honored bill way better <clears throat> to which melanie replied well i'm a single mom and I just have to move on. Uh, bitch. Uh, so, uh, sorry. Anyways, after hanging up, 
Sue knew Melanie did it immediately. So the Virginia police have literally exhausted all of their efforts at this point in their investigation on their side. And unfortunately, they were only able to come to the small solution that while Bill was found in Virginia, he was obviously killed in New Jersey. Therefore, the case was then turned over to New Jersey officials. Now, I don't know if y'all know this, but New Jersey people, man, them bitches don't mess around. And they took this case super serious. Enter my man, Detective Dalrymple. So I really hope somebody out there gets my reference because <laughs> it's freaking great. But this big guy, man, I was looking at pictures of him and I could not help but think of the SpongeBob SquarePants movie when he comes in all hot shot and helps the guy with put the pickles on the Krabby Patty. And he's like, what's your name, son? You got a family, son? You just keep talking to him and all stuff. That's what Detective Dalrymple looked like to me. <laughs> I'm so serious. <laughs> but anyways, so we got big old uh, Detective Dally over here, Dally Dalrymple. And he start actually looking at the case from a different angle. So they had all of Virginia's evidence, but now it was time essentially for them to find their own is what he was kind of under the impression of. And that that was his kind of goal. So this this angle, him wanting to go and look at it from a different perspective that actually led him to the gaping bullet holes that Bill had in his chest cavity. Dalrymple started. Ooh, I don't know what happened to my voice, but that was kind of cool. Uh. Detective Dalrymple started searching I Spy style into the McGuire circle to see if anyone had a firearm. Oh my goodness, wouldn't you know? Guess who bought a gun two days prior to their husband going missing? If you didn't guess Melanie, I'm not sure where you've been this entire time, but it was indeed Miss Two Time and Melanie. Y'all, she drove all the way over to Pennsylvania thanks to a good friend of hers tipping her off with this sweet little tip that she could get a gun the same day that she showed up at a shop to buy one. And that is where she purchased a 38 caliber and uh, wad cutter bullets. Huh. Unfortunately, and to her just great success, I guess, the gun has never been found to test for any prints or anything or to match up serial numbers. Now, Melanie does have a couple loose ends, which she's actually not aware of, which comes in the form of her big fat mouth. Little did she know, New Jersey had gotten a warrant granted for them to wiretap her phone and record hours upon hours of phone conversations that she has been having. Literally, I'm talking like every single phone conversation. Plus, old bad boy Brad, yeah, he's still in this picture, y'all. And through all of this, he is now also working with the police after their affair was discovered. And he's, con he, <laughs> this poor guy, he was cornered in the parking lot by the police and questioned. And da Brad was like, listen, I'll tell you everything. I'll help you however I want prove you that I am not a part of this. <laughs> But I mean, at the same time, like, duh, Brad, of course they're going to come after you. So there was one particular conversation that was recorded, and it's very, it's very small. It's two lines. It's Brad and then Melanie. 
And it kind of stuck out to me. So I wanted to share it. And it went like this. It starts with Brad. He says, I told them everything, but they aren't backing down. They're pushing me for more. Melanie comes back and says, because they want you to break. Melanie, you red flag flying biatch. Good mighty woman. Get it together. Are you kidding me? I read that and was like, oh my good gravy. But Melanie, I mean, she, she also, she didn't realize what else good old uh, Bradley here, he had told the cops. So he had also told police that Melanie had admitted to like this crazy story about how after that night and the fight with Bill and getting that protection ward order, which also I forgot to mention earlier, you guys, she never reports Bill missing. She goes and gets that protection order, but she never reported her husband missing. Never. Never even occurred to her to do so. So... If that right there doesn't tell you that she's a guilty person, I don't know what will. But anyways, after she got the protection order against him, she had actually driven two hours to Atlantic City, where she actually had somehow found Bill's Nissan, and out of spite and wanting to quote-unquote pull a prank, moved it out of the way to a corner motel known as the Flamingo. And a security camera, she said, might have even caught her doing it. But she was too tired to drive back, so she took a cab home. And then she took a cab all the way back to Atlantic City the next day to retrieve her car. What? What? But wait, there's more. She also told her loving Bradley that she also woke up in the early hours of the morning and drove all the way down to Delaware not far from the Chesapeake Bay tunnel area to go furniture shopping the day before the first suitcase had actually showed up (laughs) you got me sprung Melanie are you kidding me what an outstandingly awful lie now (laughs) but to this point they have so much incriminating evidence it's insane But what actually led to the ultimate demise of this killer, this murderer, were the trash bags. So after over a year of time has has occurred now since the crime has been committed and Bill was found. And they've taken all this time and just accumulated evidence upon evidence upon evidence. But on June 2nd of 2005... Melanie went and dropped her kids off at school and was immediately sworn by the New Jersey police and arrested for the murder of Bill McGuire. They actually ended up cross-referencing the trash bags that Bill was found in to the bags that Melanie gave Bill's clothes away to, um, to Bill's cousin, and they were from the same damn roll. Strike one, Melanie. Okay, you've got all your flags. Now you're getting strikes. Like, we've graduated from flags. Good good lord. So then, prosecutors then rolled into the mass amount of evidence they found from smaller things. Like the fact that she cleaned the apartment so well, they couldn't find one trace of DNA from anyone in that house. I'm talking kids, her, no one. It was freaking spotless. Like, cleaner job. It was crazy. They also found the human sawdust. That was Bill. That was his human tissue. But the best part, good old Google. 
Y'all, <laughs> I had to read this three times because I could not believe it. They went through her Google search history and found Google search titles like how to commit a murder and how to properly use chloral hydrate, which then prompted a search to the closest Walgreens to her location. And guess what they found when they went down there? A script for chloral hydrate written out in Melanie's handwriting. And that bitch was picked up hours before Bill went missing. Man, hook, line, sinker. We have a winner, y'all. Melanie was found guilty of murder and dismemberment and has been sentenced to life in prison. She'll be over a hundred before she's actually eligible for parole again. There is actually, you guys, it's crazy. The amount of information that you can find on this case, it is outstanding. And if you are interested in this, I highly, highly recommend you search Melanie McGuire suitcase murder. It is just absolutely wild. It took me multiple days to try and puzzle all the pieces together to make an actual formidable timeline. But holy crap, so much fun. And now that this is recorded, I'm even more excited. <laughs> oh, and if you hadn't guessed, that's that's the end of it. Melanie's a, she rotten behind bars, y'all. She done done. Um, but to this day, she will still, if you ask that woman, did you do it? She will claim her innocence and say to this day that she did not do it. And she has been framed, which baby, you batshit crazy. You might be smart, but you hella crazy. Oh my Lord. <laughs> I believe that concludes our very first episode of Case of the Creeps. Wow. I am super excited to get on to our second topic, which is actually going to be a paranormal. And I believe I'm going to cover the haunted town of St. Augustine, which is 45 minutes from where I live. Pow, pow. <laughs> um, again, if you guys have any requests of any topics that you want to hear about, any serial killers you want to hear covered, uh, Unsolved Mysteries, Missing People's Case. I I want to hear about it. Don't forget about the cover art. I really hope you guys send me some cool ideas and stuff. Um, until then, I hope you creeps keep it creepy. And I will see you next time. Okay, bye. <laughs>